Welcome to the Live, Laugh, Love Real Estate Podcast. Hosted by Boston real estate agents Lisa Loveland and Costa Hanses. On this podcast, you'll hear everything from real estate tips, insights, and stories to personal development strategies, mindset hacks, and all things Boston. Now, join me in welcoming your host, Lisa Loveland. Welcome back to Live, Laugh, Love Real Estate Conversations with Lisa Loveland and Costa Hanses. Today, we have David McCarthy, the operating partner of Keller Williams Boston with us as our guest. And we are going to talk, we've talked a lot about the disruption in the industry and we never really talk, have had a discussion about it from the brokerage standpoint. Keller Williams is a huge company. They're a big player in this. It's a, obviously it's a wonderful company to work for. And we wanted to bring David on and kind of get his insight into what is happening. industry-wide and where he sees Keller Williams uh, operating within this disrupted industry. So David, welcome. Thank you. I know you're busy. We appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning. Um, so welcome and uh, let's get started. Uh, why don't we... Oh, thank, just, go ahead. thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Costa. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah. So why don't we start with um, what are your personal opinions of everything that's happening in the real estate industry these days? Lord knows the, the 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 industry itself is being disrupted all the time. I think Lisa and I, you both probably we both probably entered the market uh, me, me a little after you, but the market is the industry itself. I shouldn't say market. The industry itself is completely different. It feels today than it was twenty years ago, twenty plus years ago. Yet it's it's eerily similar. Mm-hmm. It's still a contact sport between the agent and the consumer. Yet technology has disrupted the industry, and that's where we have seen we have seen the biggest change. That disruption has often made agents more efficient to do more business, and yet we know that still the piece that is still uh, key and center of the industry is the contact between the agent and the consumer. I don't think that will ever change. It's disrupted as we feel like we're getting. Yeah. So in your, I, I, I completely agree. I think it, it makes us more efficient. So if you're a good agent, it makes you very, it makes you efficient at doing better, good business. And if you're a bad agent, it makes you efficient at doing business not so well. Um, it really, well, I can't see agents ever being taken out of this transaction, especially in a sophisticated market that we see in, in the larger cities. Um, so from a brokerage standpoint, I mean, there's, there's always been, you know, there's different brokerage models. Um, everyone's trying to vie for a, a different type of platform. Talk a little bit about what you see brokerage to brokerage and how that competition is, is falling out. Well, certainly the competition between brokers uh, for agents uh, business is, is higher than it's ever been. There's a lot of factors that are going into that. We've had certainly some, uh, obviously, when Keller Williams entered the market 30 plus years ago, it disrupted. It, yeah. it the, the main disruptor that they disrupted then was Remax and C21. Mm-hmm. Today, there are other industries, that, other business models that have come out eerily similar to the traditional model. Because remember, we always talk about the models in kind of sort of three groups, the traditional, interdependent, and independent model. And can I stop you right there? Because we all know that. But for our viewers um, that might not be in the real estate industry, can sure. you explain those three models? Because I think that's that'll yeah, the, tra- the traditional model is the is conceptually was, and in, in, in I'm going to say conceptually going back many years, where the broker oversaw everything, the day-to-day, and in theory, gave leads to agents. That was before the internet and before everything, because that doesn't even happen at the traditional model. I hate to say this to my traditional broker friends. They like to say it does, 
but it really doesn't happen at any high level. Um, uh, and, it, and then the independent and interdependent are, are reasonably similar, but the independent is truly the agent hangs their license and does um, a lot of business um, uh, without, uh, I, I don't want to say day-to-day supervision of the broker, but without anything, looking for much from their broker. Right, not a the lot of interdependent, The interdependent is very much the both where you, in my mind, the interdependent, you're teaching agents how to run a business and build a life around their business. Yes. And that to me is, is the most successful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but where, where, where brokers are seeing the biggest difference, first of all, the margins are getting tighter than we've ever seen before. Um, and in Massachusetts, we're in a, in a state where the margins are tighter because we're not typically in ancillary businesses like many other states. And, and why um, do you think that the, the mar- that's the part I don't understand either? Why are the margins getting tighter? The price points are so much higher and the cost of doing business can't be that much more. It's well, the, the cost of doing business from a rent and salaries is climbing as, mm-hmm. as it is with everybody. Right. Um, uh, but it's the um, uh, agent splits. Okay. It's the cost of the agent split that's cost um, that's costing the broker. Uh, or, or the broker is receiving less yeah. of a of a margin on that. Um, uh, and and as we you as we know, there are brokers out there. Quote, we refer to it in a not so professional way of saying buying business, where agents are being bought to move their licenses over to certain brokerages and keep their license there for a year, two years, three years, depending upon how much they're being paid to move over um, so that the broker can gain, really it's to gain market share so that other agents will then join without having to pay those fees. That's the kind of sort of down and dirty end of that. Yes. Um, but it's it, it, the, it, the biggest, the biggest, you know, our industry has grown remarkably and i wish i knew the number off the top of my head right now but it's a million four realtors uh, let alone license agents that aren't realtors in the country and in greater boston certainly there's a lot more licensed agents out there but what we know and we knew 30 years ago and we know today is is that a significant percentage of them don't survive in the industry they think it People like you, Lisa, have made it look very easy. Oh, they I don't love realize you too. <laughs> they don't know. But no, but you, you know, you you live a nice life. You, you you work very hard, but you've been building your business and your your client relationships, like many agents have that are at your level, for years. It didn't happen yesterday. Right. Right. Um, and as a result of that, you and other agents like you make it look simple. What we know is, is that it's a long journey to build that business so that you always know that you're, you have three, five, seven, ten deals coming into your books in the next three months, six months right. uh, versus new licensees really come into it thinking it's easy and it isn't. It's yeah. difficult business. Yeah. Much more work than, than the consumer thinks, that's for sure. That's, that's absolutely true. Where do you see Keller Williams playing in this field? What's what, what what's Gary's vision for the, you know the next five ten years? Well, we've Gary has consistently talked about uh, continuing to gain market share, which which we're doing an okay job in the Greater Boston. That we're not doing a stellar job at that. I admit to that. Um, but it, it where where he I think recognizes and has recognized for a number of years is that agents are looking for. Um, the easy solution transaction. And I don't mean easy as in you're looking for the easy answer. You're looking for 
transactionally for it to be easy. Mm-hmm. Um, we right. know it's always going to be different. And KW has spent a lot of time and money developing command. We as a company, individual franchises, spend a lot of time and energy trying to train on command and get agents to uh, jump into command. It's hard. That's not easy. But what we know is going to happen is that uh, the easier we make it for the agent, mm-hmm. the stickier it is for the agent to stay with us. Yep. And that's that. That's the ultimate thing that we try to do. Yep. You know, Lisa, as an independent contractor, I I legally oversee you. Mm-hmm. I legally, but I don't tell you what you have to do to get to that goal. Right. I just legally have to make sure you're doing things legally, properly, and ethically that way. Mm-hmm. But I don't need to tell you you have to use that. And that's the independent contractor model that, frankly, could be considered a struggle, yet is the absolute foundation of our industry. Right. many levels right totally right. that's kind of like the concept of a, not to get not really even is yeah. not even this is political and spectrum of independent contractors but kind of yeah. the whole basis of how the united states was built on was kind of that idea of hey go do your day-to-day life we're going to oversee you we have these laws but you're entail in charge of your future and here go out there's the set of rules as i said before but you're in charge of your life we're just here to kind of oversee it and maybe guide you through if you have some kind of uh, questions and yeah. that seemed to uh, do pretty well for in such a short. It, it feels like crazy to you think like, oh, it's 1776 country was officially for. I mean, that's not that not that many lifetimes ago too. So I think that's no, it's not. It, no, it yeah. is not. And that and I think that for for I think when you look back in the rearview mirror, and I do, Lisa and I have known each other for 30 plus years. So uh, when we look at how the industry has evolved. It has evolved light years, yet it's still the exact same. Yeah. It's still, yeah. it's still a that contact sport between a buyer and, and, and an agent, and a, and a buyer and a seller and an agent. Yeah. Two agents the same in, issues in, always in come life. up. That's not going to change. Emotions right. are still all... Yet how we up. get there and how we're yes. ha- handling the transaction is very different. I mean, I, I hate to sound like the old guy in the room, but how many times I when I started... I mean, we were running from house to house to get signatures on documents because the seller or the buyer didn't have a fax machine, Yeah, yeah. you know, and we had pages. It was very different. The yeah. technology has allowed us. And again, this goes to what I kind of said in the beginning when I and I honor Lisa for what she's built. I, she's you've got the ability to work remotely sometimes the consumer never knowing where you are, which is the appropriate thing to do on many levels. And you yet you're still handling the transaction for them uh, at a very high level. And we couldn't do that before. No. We couldn't do that 25 years ago. And we were stuck and trying to get away was a challenge. But today it's, it is much easier and better for us. And I think we still, we handle the consumer and better today. I mean, they're much more too. informed. Because I think that we, much and more. we've talked about this many times on this podcast, but we're able to get who we are across to the consumer before they actually have decide whether they want to work with us. Totally. You know, when you think about yeah, the, the the magnitude of this transaction, the, the pressure, the financial, the everything that it represents to a person, um, to hire someone that you have just met in an hour or so presentation, that's a lot. But with social media and this new way of branding, we're able to get our personalities across to the masses and they have a and it gives them a better option to figure out who they want to work with. Um, because, you know, somebody who sold a hundred hundred systems, a hundred uh, homes last year isn't necessarily the best agent for a particular person. 
Um, and prior to that, that's all you, you know, you'd see the paper advertisements, you'd see the rankings <laughs> the and billboards, and the billboards, yeah, the billboards, the you know, shopping carts. Um, yeah. and who, who is that person and, and what does that really mean? And, and it didn't, that doesn't mean anything to the consumer that just meant something to the agent. So I think we're becoming more consumer driven in this disruption, which I think is wonderful. Um, yeah, I, there's no, there's no question. Um, and I know you've built your business this way, but just referrals, I mean, yeah. it's your network, your sphere and your referrals. Yep. You do a deal with somebody, you do a great job for them. They feel like you had, they, like you had their back during the transaction and you guided them through the transaction so that they knew what the next step was. Right. Then everyone is typically happy. And then it's easy to get referral business from them, not because you're begging for the referral, but because they're like, holy crap, Lisa Loveland got us this home. We didn't even know it was on the market. It was coming on the market and she got us in. And boy, was that transaction smooth. We knew all of the pitfalls of what the next step was. And that that, that comes from experience. Right. Doesn't mean an agent who doesn't have a lot of experience couldn't do that, but they just need to dive in and learn the transaction. Because people um, remember how they felt. And oh, what, what you just described is a feeling that they have. So that, yeah. that's, right. they don't care about my statistics. They care how about how they feel when they're interacting with me. And hopefully yeah. that's what they leave our interaction with. And that's what they remember. And that's what generates you know referrals down the road. And, and, and just going back to the whole concept of disruption at this point, I, you know, sometimes I do wonder how much more we're going to be disrupted. I mean, I shouldn't say sometimes. I wonder it all the time. <laughs> but I don't know you know, you don't know what the next piece of disruption is because we're, we're just consistently being disrupted. You and I have experienced the whole Zillow estimate, the Zestimate for yeah. years. Uh, it plays a significant role. Why? I, I'm not sure. Does the consumer really believe it? You know as well as I do that when the, when the consumer is selling, they say the Zestimate is too low. And when they go to buy, they say there's estimates too high. You can't and have isn't it both that ways. Statistic, right. We can interpret statistics however we want to at a particular moment. But but no, you're yeah. right. And I think as far as disruption, we are being disrupted all the time. And I think it's important, just as in life, to find a balance. You need to be apprised of what's going on, but you don't always have to be with the next best thing because it's it may be too much. Yeah. I think there's a, yeah. there's a nice balance with... You, incorporating technology, incorporating these efficiencies, but still keeping it a very personal business. Um, I'm glad you brought up Zillow because it was going to be my next question to you. Um, what do you think about, uh, we know what Cust and I think about the iBuying, but what do you think about iBuying? Yeah. So iBuying, first of all, iBuying has a very consistent place in our market. In other states, it has a consistent place, but it's higher. So the example I always use for iBuying that, that is the consumer, I think, that uses it at a highest percent. So let's just say in Massachusetts, it's a few percentage points of transactions that are done a year that are iBuyer. It's not a lot. I think most nationally, it's maybe 10% now in some states. I, I could be wrong on that, so don't come at me later. Um, but but it, for a long time, it hovered at 7% in the Arizonas. And people would say, why does it happen in Arizona? And, I, and the example I use from the people that I know that are in the iBuying business at a, at a bigger level is the following. And, and, and if this touches someone emotionally, I apologize when you're listening. But, you know, you live in Massachusetts. Your parents moved to Arizona. They're 95 and just passed away. Are you really going to go to Arizona to meet with an agent to decide to put it on the market 
to clear out the couch that you don't want, but you've already got all the photos because you took care of that before. David, yeah. that's a great the point. answer I is no. Thought about it like that. Yeah, that it's is. not yeah, worth your. And that's who the i buyer is. Yeah, that's who the 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 brokerage is that offer it, and that's who the the seller is is that consumer. It could be the other example I use is a divorce couple. Sometimes it's a, you know there's something that's happened that the that the person who had to step in they can't come to agreement, but the the, the deceased family and or the family being trans um, moving on to the next phase of nursing home or something. Is who I don't know statistically, but I bet you it's 80% of the business yeah. is that. Yeah, it's not right. the guy, it's not you and I going, oh, let me see if I can do high buying. Because the consumer learns that it's 20% of the cost of the house is taken off so that they can guarantee the sale. And then the brokerage makes the money during the high buying. And, and there's no relationship there. You know, and, and if you're in, in the scenarios that you just spoke of, the unfortunately deceased and possibly, you know, a a divorce you're not necessarily looking for the the relationship and right. the and the um, help from an agent you're you're looking to just move treat on this as a transaction yeah, that, and, and, and and the deceased one it, it's very clear you just don't want to deal with it it's a headache it's a four hundred thousand dollar house I, I, i'm going to make an extra couple of grand it's not a big deal to my inheritance that's right and that's what you that's what i hear from friends and the brokers that do a lot of it mm -hmm. that's what i hear and and they like that business it's the same thing in you and I. I mean, how many times have you chased a, a FISBO? Right. Probably not much because that's not your skill. Right. It's not why you got in the business. That's right. It just depends. It's just another piece of the business. Yeah. I just don't think it's going to be huge, but it's going to be there forever. It's been there forever, you know, as it is. Right. Um, and Hope that helps. What's your, yeah, no, it does. It does. And what, what's your feeling as far as um, having brokerages integrated with lending and, you know, more having a streamlined well, I always use the example without giving names in Massachusetts. There are a lot of brokers today that, let's just say, um, uh, they're in their 60s and 70s that remember the brokers that did it all. They did insurance, they did brokerage, and they even had attorneys in their in-house, which gave them in Massachusetts title. Um, you and I could name the names. I don't want to name them on, on a recording, but... They were out there. There's a couple that are out there kind of today still mm -hmm. doing it. Um, I think that model likely is going to come back Yeah. in some cases. There's a lot of brokerages that own a title company and they make, mo they make money on, on the title side, um, especially in states that uh, are title states. We're an attorney state. So in yeah. Massachusetts, it's just not common. Um, but you see brokerages with insurance relationships mm -hmm. and with attorney relationships and, and I think we'll continue to see that um, throughout the country and certainly develop in Massachusetts. Right. 100%. It's, it's all, to me, to me, that's and the same thing with mortgage. But to me, the whole thing on that, um, uh, honestly, is being really, the consumer, they look at us for, for, for referrals. You know that. How many times have you given oh, a referral for a moving company, a painter? And we just need to be careful with that because I like to believe that 98% of us are really ethical and moral and we're doing the right thing by our right. clients, but there's some percentage that aren't. Yes. And that's sure. where we get ourselves in trouble or we get a bad name. Yeah. When you that find out that so-and-so is their best friend, you know, and there's a reason that, that that's where I get the kind of like, Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. But if you, if you, if you're being really transparent about it, I, I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah. I'm good with too. it. 
I think what you pretty much described too is the Jeff Bezos Amazon model too. And I think a lot of brokerages are kind of modeling that or wanting to model that customer, that model where Jeff Bezos pretty much says and speaks about how they just want to make it so easy for the customer, customer service all day. We want to make the transaction so simple. You click one button, shows up your your door the same day. And I think a lot of people look at that and say, what you talked about too, a brokerage kind of doing the vertical integration of having everything there as a selling point of being like, hey, you just come here and we take care of the transaction from A to B and then you end up with your household and you get insurance and everything like there. And it makes it so much easier for the customer because they don't have to think in terms. Yeah. In terms of marketing, it's like we talk about in social media marketing, which we do is like, if you want to take somebody from A to B, you want as little steps in between. You just want to click at the button. What came before is you on Instagram where you had just like, there's no really links before on Instagram. So people would have to go then see a post and be like, oh, this looks interesting. Let me go to Google and the internet and let me search this website or search this idea. Now we have, you can tag different accounts and now we have link and bio where you can go to the link and bio. We have something like a link tree that has 10 different links where you have it there, which just makes the process seamless. And people, I forget what the actual percentage is, but the more you have people click, the less they're more willing to pay attention and actually go to the end point. So I just find that interesting that a lot of people are taking that. I I agree with that. And there's a couple of models, a couple of systems that I use that every time I hit click, I'm like, why didn't I hit click again? Why am I doing this again? (laughs) It makes no sense to me. But I think you're spot on about that, Costa. But the interesting thing to me about the whole conversation, really specifically about how we are bringing these ancillary businesses back into our industry, it was there 40 years ago. We got out. I mean, think about Prudential Insurance. Prudential Insurance was the biggest, one of the biggest real estate firms in the country. And why were they in the business? So that they could buy and sell homes and know who is going to buy it next so they can sell them insurance. Yeah. You know, that was what they were doing. And it's the same thing with why. So, but, and it was very transparent. I I think we're going to go back to some of that a lot Mm -hmm. more. Um, And we know it, we, we see it, you know, in the industry today. And I, and I, I don't have a problem with it, as I said at all. However, where I get concerned and anxious at times is that the consumer just needs to be fully aware of what they're getting themselves into. Lisa and I were selling real estate at the big, big crash. And what was the reason for that big, big crash? A lot of people were buying homes and they really couldn't afford them because they were being sold the concept of home ownership and no money down. And that was the problem. I will and say, though, shame uh, on the consumers for this. I mean, we have to understand, you know, we have to understand if there's five dollars going out, there's got to be more than five dollars coming in. Yes. Yes. For and sure. it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. All the industries were involved in it and the consumer wasn't right. doing the right thing. Yes. They were looking for the next big buck. Yeah, for sure. I will say, though, in terms of that kind of integration, that vertical integration, though, by doing that, though, I think definitely you have to make sure that it's done at a high level where each kind of sector made the mortgage part, the insurance part, the actual realtor part has to be done at a high level, not just saying, okay, now we're, we have all this stuff in grade. I think kind of given like the, the doctor example, when you go to a doctor, you usually go to a specialist, a person, a brain surgeon, like actually deals in brain surgery. It's not just like you go to a doctor and then he answers ABC and all your issues. And I think if right. companies just do it and just like, Hey, we want to do it just to make it easier for people, but not do it at a high level that they're not going to succeed. It's where if you then maybe were That's a company a point, and you bought like a, if a company say a, a brokerage wanted to do that maybe, or any sort of company, they would then maybe maybe think about if of course you have that capital to do so but maybe take on or buy another company that's already successful in the mortgage industry or already successful in this industry right. and then integrate it not just kind of build it out because we know if a company like Facebook they buy these businesses that are already built because they don't have the time effort and money to then go through and then do it themselves right right and it's one way it, you know it's it's also one way of killing your competition 
exactly. Yeah. You know, taking competition out. I mean, I, I the other day I was going to make reservations at at at, 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 for, at a restaurant. And I went, oh, I had no idea they owned all five of these, but they're all very similar restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. And they own them all. And I'm like, well, that's, weird. but you think about it, it's your competition. Yeah. Smart. You right. know, you, you took your competition out by doing it. Uh, um, uh, uh, there's always been, you know, many stories about people that own the same business in the same town. Um, you know, the two coffee shops, because yeah. That keeps you, you know, if you're running a successful coffee shop, somebody else is going to open it to be a competition. So go open the second coffee shop. Yep. That's why there's so many Dunkin' Donuts owned by the same person. Yep. They just right. keep the competition out by yep. doing it. Yep. No, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun to think about. Sure, it's what Starbucks did. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that was their whole model too, and I just didn't realize it. But in thinking about it, but that's that that that's that's that piece. But I do think that to go back to what you said a little bit, Costa, is a lot of it is the service and being able to do it at a high level. And, and and in my case, try to service the agent. Because that's my job, is to service the agent yep. and train and teach agents. And I think there's one comment about KW. I think that that was something we've done very well for a long time, but we're never doing it. Uh, it feels like we're never doing it, at least for me, because I always have this feeling of like we could be doing more, like we should be doing more. Um, because that is that is the best thing I can do for an agent is to make sure that they are as trained as well as possible out in the out in the deal and have the resources to ask a question when there's a problem or a challenge that they've come up with. Personally, I think you, you do, do a yeah. great job at it. But what would you since you don't think you you think you could do more? What would that look like? <laughs> Uh, that to me, I'll yeah, be good, up later for but, it. But yeah. Honestly, <laughs> do, well, do you know? You know what? You know, what I'm looking at right now is just. Um, adding just another staff person that is there to just make the agent feel that much more loved mm -hmm. and available. Like there's somebody yeah. else there yeah. to answer the question. Yeah. Cause that's the thing that I hear. And I don't want to say most as if it's the problem because anyone that's listening to this, but it is a challenge to constantly have somebody there to pick up the phone. I mean, how many Sorry. times do we, when we go to call something that we're buying or, or a vendor that we use, do you get annoyed or frustrated when you get the 20 minute hold time? Like, I don't yes. want that for you guys. So <laughs> yeah. it's always somebody available to ask the questions. Yeah. And for me, just as a comment, you know, I'm the broker and the operating partner. So I get a lot of brokerage questions. I can get questions virtually 24 seven, you know, and I don't mean literally at midnight, but there are agents who will call me at 1030 at night and go, I've got a counter on this and I'm stuck. You know, think about that. It's, it's, it's a it's a difficult business to be in because you want to be there for the agent to help them and, and work through the the scenario that they're with and sadly it happens all too many hours yes it does and we get those calls all the time there's no nine to five in this job no it's you know no it's not a no and as much as you want business. us yeah yeah i mean like, yeah, yeah, what you just yeah. said is that's, that's great too and i i think that would be very valuable for some for I think me and Lisa personally, we're both very like like to do it ourselves and like we'll figure it out and like we'll just like go if we fail, like whatever, we'll we'll figure it out quickly. Sometimes I feel like I don't even ask for help because I'm like extra step, which is a, it might be a good thing or a bad thing. But I think definitely people have to remember too. just speaking on that, you're you're I, you're realistically an entrepreneur when you work, especially for KW too. you're only running your own business, too. So you're not always going to have somebody to answer your questions, although you might want to have somebody there to hold your hand throughout the process. But this is still a job where you're not getting paid a salary. You're still taking that percentage to the, it goes back to the brokerage too, but 
you're not working in, let's say, a, a salary job where you're only working between these hours. Right. Then if you have a question, you can go ask the person down right. the hall and knock on the door. You have to take some risk too. And you, the only way to learn is too, is to be like, you know, what? I didn't do that right the first time. And I'm not going to go then blame Keller Williams brokers where nobody answered my call yeah, at 1130 at, at night. Well, that, and, and sadly, that is what we hear sometimes. I don't mean to, but we, we do hear like, you were there for me. I'm like, it was 930 on a Saturday. And sometimes I chuckle about the questions you get asked too, because but the thing that as a broker that every question you have is important and urgent to you. Yeah. Regardless of what it is. I mean, I'll get questions on stuff and I'm like, that really is just a nine to five question, yeah. but it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's important to them at that time. Right. And I, and I have to deal with it and I, and I have no problem dealing with it. It's just, a, it's a, it's a part of our business. Yes. Yeah. No, it is. Because um, it is, it literally is twenty four seven. The thing that I pre, I, I, I hope for every year is the agent that doesn't brag about doing business on Thanksgiving, Christmas, oh God, yeah. Easter. <laughs> Those are the ones that just it drives me nuts. Uh, oh my God, no, my buyers range from out of town. It's Thanksgiving. It's even yeah. worse it now. Really it's is worse. A day to spend. I mean, that, that, it, it really is a day to spend with your family. Right. Social media, it's, it's even know, worse. Like now yeah. too, I yeah. see, I'll go on social media on Thanksgiving and Christmas and they'll see somebody just posting like, oh, out with buyers, like no sleep, don't do this. Sometimes they say it directly like, oh, do anything for my buyers. But then it's just like casually like, oh, I know it's Christmas and I know it's Thanksgiving and I see that you're posting submitting offers. Like, it's like, I know why you're posting that. I'm not, you're not just posting yeah. that for the fun of it. You're bo- posting that to yeah. be like, oh, look at me and I, yeah. what I do. And it's like, that's like just not a great selling point. I always I look at that and say, wow, that's somebody who can't manage expectation or time. <laughs> Well, that, that, that's right? a great point, Julie. Yeah. <laughs> you get to say that better than I can. <laughs> but but I do. I literally don't. I, I don't understand. Because you, no. you can't tell me that a buyer is like, oh, my God, I want to go see things on Thanksgiving because <laughs> I'm in from out of town. Yeah. They would fully go, oh, my God, it's Thanksgiving. Spend time I with your family. Understand. We yes. can do it. We can do it on Friday. Right. What is your perspective on um, social media in terms of as a whole right now, or in terms of Keller Williams as a brokerage, where do you see the, the idea of social media fill, fitting into the brokerage and then the individual agent that's seeing the importance of that? Um, so social media is a big, broad subject. I, I will say that um, I think as a brokerage, I could be doing a better job with social media, educating the consumer, whether it be an agent or a consumer about the industry, I could be doing a better job. Um, um, and I think many agents, some agents, um, for lack of a better term, overshare on social media. And I'm not talking about the one that's posting pictures of them, you know, doing things that you tell your kids never to do. I'm just, you know, you just overshare and it's just not necessary. Um, and I, anyone who knows me, knows I use social media. But I'm not every day posting, you know, a negative story or a positive story. It's just kind of sort of a journey that you're on. Yeah. Um, so I think some agents overdo it. Lisa made a comment about the bragging rights um, of number one and stuff like that earlier. And I don't, that the context was, was it's probably it, it, some people fall for that. The consumer, some people fall for it. Um, um, that agent, as Lisa knows, has worked very hard to get where they are and they want to share. Um, uh, and, and I'm not somebody who responds to that personally, yep. you know, and that may be a fault. That may be a negative it's when it comes to running a brokerage. There are agents within any one of the three companies that say to me, please, please don't send out the rankings with me on it. I don't like it. And then I'll get the call of, it's Tuesday. You said it was going to go out on Saturday. 
because <laughs> they want to brag about the ranking. Yeah. yeah. So if I'm in that kind of sort of no win. Uh, but there are yeah, agents are. in the offices that literally will say to me, I do not want rankings sent out. I do not want the world to know that I'm number one. Right. Yeah. Respect to them. Yeah. Everybody's I, different. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I segued on that, but I hope that helped. Yeah, no, no absolutely. It, no, it did. It's, <laughs> but social media is, uh, you know, it, I like it. I mean, but I also... I do think people overshare. I think, I don't know how else to say it. I think it's a great marketing tool. It's a great way to share your story of how you do your business and what you're doing right, and right. the marketing, the caliber of the marketing material that yeah. you do. Um, right. I think it's the content. I mean, social, regardless of whether one likes it or not, it's here. Yeah. And now yeah. is the time to kind of repurpose and figure out how you want to present yourself. So when you see, and I hate to keep going back on agents that keep promoting themselves. I mean, yeah. For everyone listening, we do have to promote ourselves because you wouldn't know it. You know, it's right. important to know that your agent is respected in doing business, but it doesn't have to be all the time. Look at me, look at me. And when right. and, and so what that will do for the consumer is better have them be able to better understand who that person is. Because if when you first started out in social media, that's what it was about. Now it's changing. So if you're not changing with it, that says something about how you're doing your business. If you're yep. constantly posting content when content is so important about yourself and nothing that's benefiting the consumer, well, that tells the consumer something about that particular agent. So I think it's a really wonderful way for us to quickly um, identify who we are and differentiate yeah. ourselves from other people. And if we take it like that, wow, is social media powerful? You know, we just have to have the right content and we have to send the right message. And if the message is, hey, look at me, you're going to attract people who like that. Yeah. But um, there's a, yeah, like, there's a really big opportunity. It's the first and, place I go. Yeah. Every, if I'm looking, if say if I wasn't a real estate agent and I was looking for a real estate agent, I would go to social media. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just what my generation of kids, and even, it's even more the people that are younger yeah. than me in my age group, they first thing they do. Did he they just learn call everything. us old, Lisa? I know. I called my we are, I called myself old. <laughs> I I said I, I call me old. I should say me old. Um, Lisa's younger than me. <laughs> um, but it, it's Costa's age. But it's also um, people it's our age too. and older because they're used to social media because they have grandkids. Right, right. So right. everyone's yeah. in it. And and that's oh, that's where oh, it becomes so interesting world, to figure out how do we target those different people, different profiles. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question about it. Everyone, everyone is. And, and let's face it, even if you were to Google something, the verb Google, you know, yeah. something, it pushes you often into a social media category because there's advertising being done in social media. Or as you know, if you then have any social media account, it brings you that, you know, description every day for that ad every day for weeks. Yes. Yeah, totally. It, it is all there all day. Absolutely. So, David, I know you have to go. And yep. we kept you longer than you should. Um, but this was a great Sorry. conversation. It was great to see your That's face. Right. No, we. I always appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yes. I, I very much appreciate that. And uh, go off and have a great day, guys. You guys do a great job for your clients. So I appreciate that on my behalf. All right. We appreciate you. Thank and you. We appreciate Thank you. Be well, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for joining. We will see you next week.